Anyway, good to see you in God's house. Welcome to everybody who's tuning in at all of our locations. We are glad that you are here and everybody watching on television and online. If you have your Bible, would you take it on out? If you need a Bible, raise your hands. The ushers will get them to you. Hold it up nice and high. Let's go ahead and make this declaration of our faith all together. Ready, go. This is my Bible. It is my primary source of spiritual nourishment. I will read it every day and become all that God wants me to be. My mind will be renewed. My life will be transformed. I will become fully surrendered to Christ. Therefore, I will hide his word in my heart so I can be all that God has destined me to be. Amen. You'll sound good. Would you turn with me to the text from which my assignment comes today? We are going to 1 Kings chapter number 19. 1 Kings chapter number 19, and I am going to begin reading in verse number 19. It says, so he, speaking of Elijah, departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen before him, and he was with the 12th. Then Elijah passed by him and threw his mantle on him, and he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, please let me go kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. And he said to him, go back again, for what have I done to you? So Elijah turned back from him and took a yoke of oxen and slaughtered them and boiled their flesh using the oxen's equipment and gave it to the people and they ate. Then he arose and followed Elijah and became his servant. Today in our series, All In, I want to minister to you from the subject, don't miss your moment. Don't miss your moment. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, would you speak to every heart by your power and by your grace? We pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said, you may be seated. Well, some of you may be familiar with the story, especially the part that involves Elijah. Elijah has just won UFC BC when he went mono imeni. 450 prophets of Baal versus Elijah. He calls down fire from heaven. God answers with fire so strong that the fire not only consumes the offering and the wood, laps up all the water, but even consumes the stones. Because when we pray, we ought to expect God not to do a half a job, but God, we ought to expect God to do a full job. How many of you know God is mighty to answer? I said, how many of you know God is mighty to answer? God doesn't just do half jobs. He does full jobs. Never expect half deliverance in your life. Always expect God to do a full job in your life. Anyway, he gets this extraordinary victory, and he has high expectations, right? His expectations are off the roof. I mean, all of Israel is now going to turn back to God, but not only is Israel going to turn back to God, but Jezebel, who is the wicked queen, and and Ahab, who is the wicked king, they are going to turn to the God of Israel. I mean, he's he's all pumped up. He's like, God, answer by fire, he proved himself, and that's not the way it happened. How many of you know sometimes it's difficult to stay all in when that's not the way it happened, right? When your expectation is different than what you experience in life. And so he's dealing with this expectation gap, what he thought was going to happen and what actually happened. And he runs and he hides in a cave and he he's, he's complaining to God. He's disappointed and he says to God, he says, there's no one left to serve you but me alone. And so he goes into this cave and he's drained and disappointed and he's lamenting and in that cave God shows up 
Aren't you glad that God shows up in our caves? Aren't you glad that God doesn't give up on us when we are disappointed and despondent and complaining and, and even like not wanting to have anything do, to do with God anymore because it didn't work out the way that we thought it was going to. And God shows up in the middle of the cave and he calls him out of the cocoon that he's wrapped himself in. Sometimes we wrap ourselves in these cocoons in life. These cocoons where we want to be protected, where we don't want to experience any more hurt and so we run and we depart and we hide but God calls them out of that cocoon because the cocoon that we wrap ourselves in to protect ourselves oftentimes prevents us from hearing the voice of God so God calls him out of the cave and he he calls him onto the you know the top of the mountain and you know the story God sends the the earth the wind and the fire the earthquake the the great wind and the fire and God doesn't speak to him in any of those things God speaks to him in a whisper you know, that when God wants to really talk to us, he whispers to our soul. And we've talked about this in the past, and he whispers to us, first of all, to remind us that he's near. But second of all, because I believe he's given us secrets for how to overcome the circumstances that we are facing in our lives. And so he speaks to him, and he basically says to him, there is somebody left. There is a young man. His name is Elisha, and and he's going to be the one who takes over for you. And this is not correction. This is not punishment. This is actually encouragement. This is actually him telling Elijah that when my time for you is up, when your assignment is finished, don't worry, because there is somebody that I had my eye on who is going to take over for you. And you remember the instruction he gives to him as he comes out of the cave. Verse number 16 says, you shall anoint... Jehu, the son of Nimshai, as king over Israel, and Elijah, the son of Shaphat, of Abel, Manoah, or Mahoah, and you shall anoint him as prophet in your place. God says there is somebody who can carry the mantle that is on your life right now. And so Elijah goes into the cave wanting to retire, but he comes out of the cave refired. And there is no greater anointing in your life than the anointing that you experience after you've been in a cave and met with God. You know, so many times the enemy sends us into these dark places in life, and he sends us there in order to crush us. But God meets us there, and instead of us wanting to retire, God refires us. He gives us a new energy and a new anointing, and that's what he does for Elijah. And Elijah leaves the cave, and he goes, and you know the story, we read it, he throws his mantle over Elisha. He doesn't use words. He doesn't, he doesn't say, hey, come and follow me. He just throws his mantle, and if you read the story, it's almost as if he throws the mantle and he walks away because Elijah comes running after him. And the reason for this is how many of you know we ought to feel privileged when God invites us into his assignment, right? God God shouldn't be begging. God shouldn't be trying to convince you. God doesn't really have to use any, any further words than he already has. We should feel privileged that he has invited us to follow him. And when he invites us to follow him, basically it's an all-in invitation, isn't it? 
it. Matter of fact, when he said to the disciples, he said, drop your nets, leave everything behind and come and follow me. He said to the rich young ruler, sell everything you have and come and follow me. He said to you and I, pick up your cross daily and follow me. He said, if you want to be worthy of my dis- uh, 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 following me, if you want to be worthy of being my disciple, what will you do? You will lose your life to follow me and therefore find it. And so he throws his cloak around him. No words, no begging. He's been invited into the greatest opportunity of his life. He's been invited into a divine moment, a moment where he can now walk in the assignment that God has for his life. But he's got to go all in in order to receive it. And so many times in life, we miss the power of a moment, don't we? We don't understand how powerful moments can be. They set us up for the purpose by which God has created us. Some people stay stuck in bad moments their whole life. Stuck in a hurt. Stuck in an abuse. Stuck in something that has happened to them. And what does it do? It causes their whole life to go in the wrong direction. Those are what I call demonic moments. Moments that you replay in your mind over and over again. And it's almost like it's on repeat in your head. And it's almost like it's on repeat in your soul. And you can't get past it. But then there are divine moments. And these divine moments are set by God. And they have the power to break us free from the bondage of those demonic moments in our life and cause us to walk into everything that God has. We underestimate the power of a moment. Don't miss your divine moment. The word moment comes from the Greek word atomos, A-T-O-M-O-S. It's literally where we get the word Adam from. And how many of you know that an atom, though small in size, almost invisible, right? Unless you put it under a microscope, a special kind, you can't see it. It has nuclear power on the inside of it. When you split that nuclei through fission, all of a sudden it explodes and it produces power that is disproportional to its size. Don't miss your divine moment. That's what your divine moment is. It has power way beyond its size to unleash into your life the destiny that God has for you. But in order to seize your divine moment, you have to be willing to go all in. And here's why so many people never actually live the life that God has designed for them because when the moment is right, they're not willing to go all in. And so I want to talk to you about some things, some keys, some understandings that we need to have in order to seize our divine moment and go all in. Number one, if we're going to seize our divine moment and go all in, we need to believe that God has got better for each of us. That he's got better. That God's plan for our life is greater and better than our plan for our life. It sounds simple, but I don't know if we believe it. Because sometimes it can be hard to believe that God's got better or God's got greater. Greater than the labels you were given when you were young. Greater than the cynicism that may be setting in on you as you get older. Greater than the empty earthly success that brings no eternal reward. Hard to believe that God's plan is greater than the shame tethered to you like a stone from the sins of your past. Hard to believe that God's plan for you is greater than the disappointment that you suffered at the hands of the people who you once trusted that are around you. Hard to believe that God's plan sometimes 
sometimes is greater than the specter of missed opportunities hovering over your bed at night. Hard to believe sometimes that God's plan for your life is greater than the dreams that you've even dreamed for yourself. Hard to believe sometimes that God's plan for your life is greater than even the greatest moments that you've had thus far in your life. But can I tell you something? God's plan for your life is greater than all of those things. And in order to go all in, you need to believe that. Well, on the surface, this is Elijah's story, right? When we first met him, meet him, there's nothing glamorous about Elijah's life, right? On the surface, he, his life looks like many of ours. He's stuck in mediocrity. He's just a guy plowing behind 12 yoke of oxen. Plowing, by the way, was backbreaking work. Not only can Elijah taste his own sweat, he can taste the very smell of the oxen that he's behind. When you spend every day plowing, the smells and the scenery are always the same. Monday, you have a ringside seat to oxen rears. Tuesday, if you look out the window to the right, oxen rears. Wednesday, the in-flight entertainment, oxen rears. Thursday, you go surfing on the internet, www.oxenrears.com. Friday's special from the chef is the filth of oxen rears. And the next Monday, you get up and you do the whole thing all over again. You get up, you have breakfast, you put on your clothes, you go out, you hitch up, you know, the, the plow to the ox, you get behind the twelfth one, you plow all day, you get filthy, you get home, you wash, you clean, you eat dinner, you go to bed, you get up, you do the whole thing over again. It was hard for him to believe that this was not the life that he was destined to lead. Because when we do the same thing over and over and over and over again, we get stuck in this rut of mediocrity. It was a good job. Paid the bills. right? Put food on the table. Matter of fact, many people believe, many theologians, that this 12 yoke of oxen was uh, owned by a very, very rich person who hired him to work for him. And so this was a good job, and and, and, and so he's stuck behind there, and he's probably struggling like you and I do. Does God really have greater for me? How do I, how do I tap into that greater life that God has for me? Well, here's the good news. Oftentimes when we feel stuck, God is talking about us behind our back. God is having a conversation and God is watching the level of faithfulness in those things that seem mundane and mediocre in our life. And he's having a conversation because thousands of miles away, God was speaking to Israel's prophet who was in a cave and God was speaking to him saying, I've had my eye on Elisha, the son of Shaphat for a long long time. You never know what God is dreaming about you. You never know the plans that God has for you until God reveals them to you. Live every day of your life believing that God has something better for you and mine so that way when your divine moment shows up, you can seize it. And sure enough, that's what happens to Elijah. He comes down from Elisha. Elijah comes down from the mountain and he says, when you leave this cave, go and anoint Elisha, the son of Shaphat, to be your successor. What's my point? Some of us, we get, we get stuck behind the butts of life. We thought we were much different than Elijah or Elisha. 
He was stuck behind oxen rears. We're stuck behind a lot of butts too. But you know, I'd, I'd pursue my dream, but. You know, I, 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 I'd work on my marriage, but. Oh, uh, you, you, you know, I, I'd really go all in in my Christianity, but we have all of these reasons why we don't step into the assignment that God has for us. But God is letting us know that in order to seize your divine moment, there has to be some type of knowledge on the inside of you that says, God wouldn't be asking me to step into this if it wasn't greater than the life that I'm living now. God's always got greater for us. Matter of fact, there's nothing like the abundant life, right? Jesus, matter of fact, he said, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Nothing like the life that God has for us. Second thing that you need to know is that if you're going to seize your divine moment, you need to have a sensitivity to the Holy Spirit within your spirit. Proverbs chapter 20 verse 27 says, The spirit of man is the lamp of the Lord, searching all the inner depths of his heart. What's that mean? That means God's direction for you is inside you. Your green light and your red light, your go or your no, your seize it or step away comes from within, from the Holy Spirit within you. What's that mean in practical terms? It means follow your instincts. It means follow your gut. It means obey your unction. It means listen to your inner calling or the whisper in your soul. It means tune into the inner voice. Some people get concerned about this because they believe, well, if I, if I kind of listen to my, my gut, it can deceive me. Not if you're born again and all in, it won't. See, the reason why a lot of Christians don't have confidence in their gut is because they're not all in. And so what they think is their gut is oftentimes their flesh. But when you are a born-again Christian and you are all in, you can trust the instincts of your gut on the inside because the Holy Spirit is speaking to your spirit. Matter of fact, Psalm 37 verse 4, we quote it all the time, erroneously. We say, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. And so all of us get excited. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to delight myself in God because I know he's going to give me that big house because that's what I want. Nothing wrong with a big house, by the way. I got one. Nothing, nothing, nothing wrong with that. All right? I'm going to delight myself in God because if I do, he's going to give me a beautiful car. Not, nothing wrong with that. If I delight myself in God, he's going to give me a big bank account. If, if I delight myself in God, he's going to give me a big promotion. And, and we think that delighting ourselves in God is the key to acquiring what we want. But delighting ourselves in God is the key to acquiring desires that God wants for your life. Because what happens when you delight yourself in God is he literally plants desires on the inside of you. The word desire is D-E-O and sire, father of the father. And so what happens when you are all in, what happens is when you are, you are born again is that your gut, your instincts that's the Holy Spirit talking to you in your life. And, 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 and God always prefers us following instincts over intellect. Matter of fact, if you've been saved for any period of time, you'll notice that your inst- int- intellect and your instincts war against one another, don't they? Your intellect, by the way, I, I believe we ought to be smart. Right? This isn't, this isn't a statement so you can resign to being stupid for the rest of your life. Look at your neighbor and say, don't be stupid. Come on, tell them, say, don't be stupid. 
I believe in education. I believe in preparing. I believe in all of that kind of stuff. But I found out that in serving God, oftentimes my intellect and my instinct war against one another. And and we see this in the story. Because when you look at the story, remember what God says to Elijah when Elijah says there's nobody left? He said, well, I've reserved 7,000 prophets to me who haven't bowed their knee to Baal. Now, where were these 7,000 prophets? They were in the school of the prophets. Where was the school of the prophets? Right near the mountain that Elijah came down from. But yet he walks right past the school of the prophets to the place where the guy is plowing in the field. I asked the Lord, I said, Lord, well, why didn't you just go tell him to pick one of those? There's what the Lord said, because they were relying on intellect and not instinct. They were training their mind, which, by the way, is powerfully important in every area of your life. It's good to get smart. It's good to be educated. But can I tell you, I know God, and there are times when your spirit will tell you stuff that your mind says, there ain't no way you should do that. How do you know whether to go with that and seize that moment? you got to trust your instincts. you got to understand. There was something on the inside of Elisha. That said, I know this is my moment. I know it. I know it deep within me. Everything within me is shouting out. I ought to go for this right at this particular moment. How many times in life have we said, nah, I can't go for that. Nah, that's, that's just too difficult. My whole life will be turned upside down. Can I tell you something? God wants to turn your life upside down. See, our problem is we love security too much and safe too much. There is nothing safe about faith. You ever see the Indiana Jones movies, right? And, you know, they're they're the typical, you know, uh, cinematic uh, representations of what faith is. He can't see the bridge, but he knows the bridge is there, and he's got to jump out into the unknown. He's got to take a step of faith and trust that the bridge will show up. That's what faith is. And because faith is that, we get stuck in these safe places because we don't trust our spirit. Some of you are waiting for a word when you have already a leading of the Holy Spirit. Some of you are waiting for confirmation, but yet the Holy Spirit has confirmed it to you in your heart over and over and over and over and over and over again. And you just keep saying no to the Holy Spirit. And God is saying if you want to seize your divine moment, you've got to step out and you've got to go all in. And that's what Elisha did. He followed his instincts. I remember when I was uh, preparing for life, I call that college, right? When I was preparing for life, I was studying to be, and you've heard me say this before, a CPA attorney and, and started working for one of the big accounting firms and all that kind of stuff. And I remember as I'm, I'm preparing mentally and intellectually, suddenly I hear in my spirit, time to go into ministry. Time to go into ministry. And, and, and the pastor of the church, he invites me to preach one particular weekend. I preach. And as I was preaching, by the way, when I'm preaching, I hear stuff for me also. As I was preaching, the Holy Spirit said, this is what you'll do for the rest of your life. And I said, ah, no, I won't. I said, I'm going to be rich first. I'm going to be a CPA attorney. And then I'll serve you, Lord. And the Holy Spirit, as I was preaching, I could feel everything in me was going, yes, 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 yes. This is what you've been born to do. Thank God I had enough courage to defy my intellect and follow my instinct. Would I have had a successful life as a CPA attorney? Yes. 
100% successful. From a worldly point of view, yes. I, I, don't, I don't believe that you fell from a worldly point of view when you say no to the Holy Spirit. Matter of fact, sometimes you succeed so good, it becomes the greatest trap in your life. Because success and failure in God's eyes is not about the things that you acquire on earth or the things that we do here. Success and failure in God's eyes is have we fulfilled the assignment by which we were placed or for which we were placed on the planet. The Holy Spirit won. Matter of fact, Albert Einstein, how many of you know he probably had greater intellect than almost everybody in here? Listen to what he said. He said, I believe in intuition and inspirations. I sometimes feel that I'm right. I don't know that I am. What was he saying? Something on the inside of me is always going, do this. Go here. Go there. But up here, it's like, uh, there's always a struggle between your intellect and your instinct. Oprah said this. She said, I've trusted the still small voice of intuition my entire life. And the only time I've made mistakes is when I didn't listen. Now, I know Oprah's kind of got into a lot of, you know, all that kind of religious stuff, you know, and all sorts of things. But Oprah has, has been taught the word of God from a little girl. And that's where she picks up a lot of these things. Steve Jobs said this, don't let the noise of others drown out your inner voice. These are examples of people who experienced worldly success by seizing their worldly divine moment. How much more in the body of Christ? How much more should we have a sensitivity to the Holy Spirit to know when God says go, go. When God says go, just put your head down and go. When God says do it, just do it. When God gives you an instruction, reason is not required. If you start to reason what God asks you to do, half the time you will not do what God has asked you to do. But if you're going to step in and go all in and seize your moment, you're going to have to obey your instincts and have a sensitivity to the voice of the Holy Spirit. Third thing you need to know if you're going to go all in and seize your moment is you need to commit a spiritual act of arson. You need to commit a spiritual act of arson. As we come to the story, you might remember that when Elisha was called, when the mantle came up on him, no words. He just threw the mantle on him and he walked away. He was like, if you want this, you better come after it. See, a lot of people are expecting, you know, God to put the mantle on us and then prop it up and fluff, fluff it up and dust off our shoulders and say, how does that feel on you? And, you know, uh, here's what you need to do next. Oftentimes what God does, he just throws it on you and walks away. He's like, are, do you have enough faith to come and follow me? Do you have enough faith to not have all the answers? Do you have enough faith to be okay with not knowing everything, but understanding that God knows the beginning from the end? And so he throws the mantle on him. He walks away. And you remember what Elisha does? He does three things. Number, number one, he goes and kisses his family goodbye. And one of the most confusing scriptures in the Bible, I think, is when Jesus said that if you want to follow me, you have to hate your mother, your father, your brothers, your sisters. And the reason why that's confusing is it's up against the backdrop of other scriptures that say, honor your father and mother, which will, go well, which will go well with you that you may lead a long life here on the earth. Other scriptures say about, you know, um, chill, uh, how, to, how to treat your children and how to, how to love them with correction, right? I know the world says, 
hating your children is when you correct your children. But the Bible says when you correct your children, you're loving your children. All sorts of other scriptures that are contrary to the statement that Jesus made where it says if, if you want to follow me, you have to hate these important relationships. So what gives? What gives is when it's you and those other important relationships, they need to come first. But when it's you, Jesus, and those other important relationships, guess who gets to come first? Jesus. By comparison, Jesus is saying, if you won't do for me everything that you will do for your spouse, for your mother, for your father, and for your kids, you don't really love me like you should. How many of you would go to the mat for your children? How many of you would lay your life on the line for your children? How many of you would do everything that you can to make sure your spouse was okay? Guess what Jesus is saying? The same way you're going all in for them, you need to go all in for me. What did Elijah said? Elijah said, here's what I want to do. I want to kiss them goodbye. I want to let them know that there is now a relationship in my life that is more pivotal to my destiny than even every good thing that they've given to me. He kisses his family goodbye. Second thing he does is he throws a barbecue. Did you notice that? He slaughters the oxen. And he throws a barbecue, meatloaf, and buffalo burgers. Leanest meat you'll ever eat in your entire life, right? Calls the whole community together. And, and the reason why he does this is because in Bible days, whenever you were walking into a divine opportunity, you would throw a party. You'd celebrate it. Imagine... When God speaks to you to do something that defies your intellect, you call all your friends over, you go, I just want to, I just want to throw a party here because guess what? God has just called me into my divine moment. Right? He's, he's selling, he realizes his instincts are telling him this is it. But then the third thing he does is crazy. He burns his plows. He cooks the oxen with fire from the wood of the plow. What is going on here? He's going all in. He's not only kissing his family goodbye. He's not only realizing it's time to throw a party. He's saying to God, God, you know what? I want you to know that I'm cutting ties with everything that could possibly pull me back to my old life. This is what all in is. All in is when you decide to commit a spiritual act of arson where you say any temptation in my life that is stopping me from fulfilling the destiny of my life has got to be burned to the ground burn it what is it that's standing in the way of your relationship with the Lord is it a habit burn it is it money burn it is it a hang up burn it is it a thought pattern burn it is it an addiction burn it is it unforgiveness burn it is it bitterness burn it is it a painful past burn it is it a previous mistake burn it is it a career path that you chose when God has something else for you burn it is it an ungodly relationship burn it is it a bad influence burn it what does burning it look like burning it may look like going to somebody and saying, I forgive you. Because that unforgiveness has been standing in the way of you and your relationship with the Lord, and so you can't go all in. Maybe maybe burning it may look like going and apologizing. Maybe burn it may look like, you know, starting to prepare 
for an assignment that you know God has for you. Putting some faith to it. Stepping out in some way. Maybe maybe burning it may mean instead of wasting your money on $6 coffee every day but never complaining that you ain't got no money. Start giving to the work of the Lord. Look at that. That went over like a lead balloon. I love it. People, I, you know, I ain't got no money, Pastor. If I see you at Starbucks every single morning, $6 a pop. You know how much money you could have in your pocket if you don't spend $6 on coffee? You know how rich you could be if the time that you're 21, you take that $6 every day and you put it into a retirement account. By the time you get to be 65, you have over a million dollars. Amazing how we just have to learn how to go all in for Jesus and realize that sometimes it requires us to burn some stuff, an act of your faith. We used to sing a song back in the day. It went like this. You ready, Pastor Ronald? I'm just giving you the words. I need you more, more than yesterday. I need you more, more than words can say. I need you more than ever before. I need you, Lord. I need you, Lord. More than the air I breathe. More than the song I sing. More than my next heartbeat. More than anything. And Lord, as time goes by, I'll be by your side. Because I never want to go back to my old life. Are you all in? That means you are committing spiritual acts of arson on a regular basis for anything that is standing in the way of your relationship with the Lord. Can I push it and give you one more thing that you must do if you're going to seize your moment? Number four, you need to understand non-instant gratification. You need to understand non-instant gratification. There was a famous experiment with marshmallows. They took these kindergarten kids... And they, they put marshmallows on their desks. And they said to the kids, okay, you can eat the marshmallows only when I come back, the teacher said. And I'm going to leave the room, and, and, and I'll be back in 10 minutes. Nobody can eat their marshmallows for the next 10 minutes. Now, why they use marshmallows when they taste like chalk? That's not temptation, right? Like if it was me, I'd be putting Skittles out there. I'd be like, yeah, nice and sugary, sweet, tastes good, so on. But they put marshmallows out there, right? And they waited, And the teacher came back in. They were watching by hidden camera. And they marked the kids who ate and the kids who who waited. Then they followed those kids for the rest of their life until they went through college, until they got a career. And they found out that in every single case, the kids that waited did better in school and were more successful in the world's eyes. Why? Because they were practicing the principle of non-instant gratification in our lives. Elisha practiced this principle. He seized his divine moment. He kissed his parents goodbye. He made buffalo burgers for the whole neighborhood. He burned his plow. And then you know what happened? He followed Elijah for six years as his servant. Six years. Not one miracle. Not one prophetic utterance. Six years of just being a complete servant. I know if this was a modern day Christian, they would have been like, ha, I made the wrong mistake. 
I made a mistake. I, what am I doing here? God, you said, I'm going to take over for this guy. This guy threw his mantle on me. I mean, it's, it's a year now. I mean, I paid my dues already, don't you think? I mean, it's two years now. When is my time, God? Three years now, four years now, five years now, six years now. I think six is significant because six is the number of man. Guess when it's your time? It's your time when enough of your flesh has died that you are ready to step into the assignment that God has for you and never go back. And so, what does he do? For six years, he serves. Here's the question, and I want to pull back the veil on cultural Christianity. Divine moments don't work like we've been taught that they do. Can God heal your body in a moment? Yes. Can God deliver you from an addiction in a moment? Yes. Can God turn your financial situation around in a moment? Yes. Can God restore your marriage in a moment? Yes. Can God relight the fire in your spirit in a moment? Yes. But can I tell you what normally happens when a divine moment is introduced to you? You got to step in and then you got to wait. You got to step in and then you got to wait. When I said yes and went into ministry, I was an associate pastor for I think it was like four years. I didn't make hardly no money. Worked four jobs. Hardly ever preached to the adults. Just to the kids. But you know what? Them kids got some good sermons. Because I preached to them kids like they, I was preaching to a room full of grown, mature Christians all the time. Why? Because I wasn't doing it for men. I was doing it for God. But I waited and waited and waited and waited and waited and waited. And I never knew when my divine moment was going to turn into the miracles that God had promised me. I never knew when that was going to happen. Elijah never knew. He probably, I mean, maybe even thought, well, if I step into this right now, he's going to prep me for about two weeks and then boom he's going to step aside and I'm going to become the oracle for Israel and God was like uh no non instantaneous gratification can you serve God faithfully while you're waiting can you be faithful to God while you're waiting can you be faithful to God as you're watching God do miracles in somebody else's life can you just Stay all in, even if there is non-instant gratification. It's a test, not to disappoint you, but to deepen your dependence on God so that when the time comes, you can handle the miraculous destiny God has delegated for you and succeed in life. Here's what God did with Elisha. He put the marshmallow on the table and he walked away. He said, I'll be back in six years. Could you imagine in this microwave world where we stamp our feet in front of the microwave because 30 seconds is too long? Well, we can't put our phone down because we need to have some type of fix right quick, right? Where we, where we can't wait until we're married because we need our flesh to be fed right now. Where we can't stay on a diet long enough to be consistent because we want it now. Where we can't go to the gym for more than two days in a row without feeling like this is work. We want everything now. We have been cultured in this generation. Have it now. Do it now. Whatever feels good. Whatever works right. And we are setting ourselves up for failure Because the truth of success in life is success is usually non-instant gratification. When God puts the marshmallow on the table and walks away, 
Are you faithful? Abraham waited 25 years for Isaac. Joseph waited 13 years for the palace. Moses waited 25 years to be the deliverer. David waited 15 years to be king. Elisha waited six years. He got off easy. Six years. If you don't know this, that all in is not always followed by instant gratification, then you will not stay all in long enough to see the life God has designed for you. You will quit in frustration and disappointment and you will return to casual, comfortable, convenient Christianity and miss out on the call of life. You will lose sight of the better life that God has for you and you will miss your divine moment. But when you know that divine moments come with non-instant gratification, when you're waiting on the Lord, what are you doing? You are renewing your strength. You are mounting up with wings like eagles, right? You are learning how to run and never to faint. When you know that the divine moment is not always correlated with instantaneous change in your life, you believe the whole time that if God gave you the vision, eventually the vision is for an appointed time and the vision will come to pass in your life. But if you don't know it, you're going to be dabbling in Christianity. Trying stuff. You're going to be like, uh, let me try this. You're going to wait like what the world considers a long wait. A couple hours. It didn't work yet. I'm done with that. I'm done with that. And see, here's the whole point. When Elisha finally got his moment, you remember what happened? Elijah turns and he asks Elisha, what can I do for you? You've served me for six years. What can I do for you? And he asks him, the mentee, the student asked the mentor for, to confer a staggering blessing on him, a double portion of his spirit. When they had crossed over, Elijah said to Elisha, tell me, what can I do for you? Second Kings chapter 2, verse number 9. Before I'm taken from you, let me inherit a double portion of your spirit. Elijah replied, you have asked a difficult thing. Elijah said, yet if you see me when I'm taken from you, it will be yours. Otherwise, it will not, it will not be. And as they were walking along and talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire. <laughs> why, do, why do you say if you see me when I'm taken from you, it will be yours. But if not, it won't be. And then the very next place says, as they were walking together, because and I heard you, but in order for you to get it, you, can, you have to continue to walk with me. If you decide you've waited long enough and you go back, you won't get it. If you've decided you've been all in long enough with no results and you go back, you'll never see the destiny of God for your life. But watch this. He says, and as they were walking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. Elijah saw this and he cried out, my father, my father, the chariots and the horsemen of Israel. And Elijah saw him no more. Then he took hold of the of his garment and he tore it in two. What did this just prove? It proved what waiting always does. It purifies your motive. See, the reason why there's waiting after there is divine vision is because God wants to know, are you in it for the miracles or are you in it for the master? And Elijah, Elisha, we know, was in it 
not for the miracles. His motive was right. He was in it to serve the master. Why? Because when it was finally his time and Elijah was taken from him, he didn't say, well, it's about time that old man's been standing in my way. It's about time because I'm tired of go getting this guy's shoes and I'm tired about picking up his luggage and I'm, I'm tired about the old antiquated ways that he does stuff all the time. Doesn't he know that society has progressed and it's time to move into a different season? Why isn't this old guy just going to retire? He didn't say none of that. He said, my father, my father. And he tore his clothes as if to say, I wish you weren't gone. Why? Because I'm not in it for the miracles. I'm in it to serve the master. And if you are going to be all in, your motive has to constantly be purified in the presence of God where you realize if God never responded positively with any promise that is in the Bible, you'd serve him anyway. Now that's impossible because God is not a man that he would lie. But the motive should be, I'm not in it for the miracles. I'm in it to serve you, my master. Don't miss your divine moment. Would you stand to your feet? So much of life where there is success comes with an understanding of non-instant gratification in marriage right how many know when you get married you're going to get old stuff ain't going to look like it used to look and imagine you looked at your spouse and you said you don't do it for me no more so It's not marriage. It's not relationship. I'm in it. Not for the miracles. I'm in it to serve the master. That's the call, I think, of the heart of God for 2023. God, even though we want miracles, even though we'll see miracles, even though you'll show up with your power and your presence at different times throughout the course of this year in our church and in our lives, God, that's not why we're in it. We're in it because we love you. We're in it because you redeemed us. We're in it because you gave your life for us. Motive versus miracles. The greatest miracle of all, though, is what Jesus did for us. And here was his motive. To get nothing in return. Jesus didn't win when he went to the cross. He gave up everything so that you and I could be saved and be made right with Him. Maybe today you are not right with God. You don't know if your relationship with Him is where it needs to be. And you don't know if you were to to die this moment or this second, whether you'd spend eternity apart from God in a place never prepared for you called hell or in heaven. The place that Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. That where I am, you may be also. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. 
Jesus prepared a wonderful place for you, but you have to surrender your life to him in order to receive that. If you're here today with no one looking around and you don't know if you were to go to heaven or hell when you leave this earth today, God wants to meet with you personally. And all you need to do is surrender your life. You say, Pastor, you know what? I'm not sure if I'm right with God, but today I want to give my life to him with no one looking around. Just hold your hand up and I'm going to pray with you. Pastor, today I want to yield my life to Jesus. Not sure if I'm right with him, but today I want to be made right with him. We promise we won't embarrass you. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. There might be somebody who's watching on camera, maybe somebody at one of our campuses. The most important thing in all the world is surrendering our life to Jesus. For the benefit of those that may be wanting to do that right now, can we all join in prayer? Maybe you're watching, wherever you're watching from, God is speaking to your heart. You say, Pastor, I want to surrender my life to Jesus. Would you pray this prayer with us all right now? Say it with me. Heavenly Father, today I give you my life. I lay it down before you. I repent of my sins. And I put my faith in Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. I will never be the same in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. A couple of quick instructions. If you prayed that prayer for the first time and you're watching online, reach out and type Jesus in the chat or click the hand in front of you. One of our prayer ministers will reach out to you and help you in your journey with the Lord. God bless the rest of you. We will see you again next week. God bless.